It's very convenient at the very end of our gospel has Jesus talking about receiving him because this is that one weekend of the year when we're going to talk about how we receive him. Those of you who've been here for a few years have probably heard some of this before, so I hope this falls into the category of helpful reminders and not I'm bored out of my mind. So we'll see. We have two different kinds of homilies that we can give on a Sunday. One of the type is the usual type where we talk about that week's scriptures, but there's another type and that is liturgical catechesis in which we can present something about what we do when we gather for worship and that's what we're doing today. If you have ever looked at the map out in the atrium there with all the pins in it, it's pretty clear that the folks who are with us here at the Catholic Center are from all over Texas, all over the United States, and literally all over the world. So people come from different places, and and even sometimes different parishes can have different practices and customs. And as a result, given our constant turnover in our congregation, we see a tremendous variation in how people approach communion. And sometimes those, dis- those variations can be distracting or can detract from the unity that we're expressing when we receive communion together. It's also pretty clear, based on what we observe every single Sunday, that how we receive communion can sometimes become casual or inattentive or sometimes even a little sloppy. So it is a good thing every once in a while to go over how the church asks us to receive and why we receive. First of all, in in the Holy Eucharist, we receive the real presence of Jesus Christ himself. And we do this because it's what he asked us to do. And this is one of the ways that Christ has chosen to remain present to us in every age. So in the consecrated bread and wine, we receive the Lord himself. In Lumen Gentium, the Vatican II dogmatic constitution on the church, uh, the church calls the Eucharist the source and the summit of the Christian life. The church is the body of Christ, and we receive the body of Christ together when we gather for Eucharist. So what we receive is not just a symbol, and it's not just a memorial. We're not just historical reenactors. Instead, the Eucharist we receive is Christ's body and blood in a way that is not less than physically present, but in a way that is more than physically present. So, who receives communion? Those who receive receive communion should be baptized Catholics, Roman Catholics, or those from Eastern Rite churches that are in communion with Rome. Because our reception of the Eucharist is the clearest expression of our unity, It's not appropriate for people of other Christian denominations to receive. The divisions between our Christian churches are a painful reality, and we know that it's not what Christ intends for his followers, but we shouldn't deny our painful reality, nor should we jump ahead of the formal dialogue and processes by which our unity might be restored. There are some rare exceptions to that policy, but this is what the church is asking of us at this time. Catholics should receive the Eucharist frequently, but at least once a year. 
And the church asks that Catholics should abstain from communion if they are aware of serious, subjective, mortal sin in their lives. And if that's the case, the sacrament of reconciliation should be received first. Now, the church has some universal guidelines for the reception of communion and has delegated to the national bishops' conferences to specify some aspects of how we receive. And the first part of how we receive communion is sometimes the most neglected, and that is the procession to communion. When we're making our way to communion, the church asks us to view that communion line as a pilgrimage to Christ and not like a line at the grocery store. The procession is something that we do together. So if you're not going to be receiving communion, it is perfectly fine to stay in your place. If you remain in your place, in your seat, kneeling is the appropriate posture, but if that will block other people in your row, please sit or stand until they've gotten past you. If you wish to be part of that communion procession but aren't able to receive communion for whatever reason, then approach the priest or the extraordinary minister of Holy Communion with your arms folded over your chest. The priest will speak a brief blessing or the communion minister will say a brief prayer for you. Sometimes, towards the end of communion, there may be multiple priests or communion ministers in various places distributing communion. So please feel free to go any, to any available minister, and if that involves like crossing lines or walking past people, the secret is just to move slowly. That will help us avoid collisions, and everything will be fine. With regard to the posture for receiving communion, the Bishop's Conference has said that the normal posture for receiving communion is standing. There are several reasons for this. One is to not unnecessarily delay the communion procession, but the other is so that we can maintain a unified posture as a clear sign of the unity of the body of Christ. But there is also another important reason. When people choose different postures, kneeling, genuflecting, or whatever, then the people around them will wonder why. Are those who kneel more pious or more holy? Are they showing off? Are the people who stand somehow less pious? When we're doing something different from everybody else, people will wonder why and may be tempted to make judgments of one another. And when we are receiving the Lord himself in this symbol of our unity, the last thing we should be doing is judging one another or distracting one another. So I hope that you can see that maintaining a uniform posture while receiving actually helps us preserve the unity of the body of Christ. The bishops have asked us to receive communion standing, and I hope that in a spirit of unity, humility, and charity, that that is what we will do. So you've navigated through the communion procession, and you're ready to receive Christ's body and blood. What's next? The guidelines from the bishops' conference state that immediately before receiving, we should make a simple bow. This is a slight bow of the head, not a profound bow. A profound bow, for example, is what we make in the middle of the creed. After a simple bow, step forward to where the priest or communion minister can actually reach you. Part of receiving communion is a brief dialogue, a statement of faith. The priest or minister says, the body of Christ or the blood of Christ, and you reply, amen, and then you receive. Note that we Catholics receive communion, we do not take communion. I think that's an important distinction. 
So to receive communion, you have two options. To receive in the hand, first of all, kindly make sure your hands are clean. Place one hand on top of the other. If you are right-handed, ordinarily you place your right hand on the bottom. In the third century, St. Cyril of Jerusalem taught, when you approach, take care to do so with your hands stretched, not with your hands stretched out and your fingers open or apart, but rather place your left hand as a throne beneath your right as befits one who is receiving the king. Then receive him, taking care that nothing is lost. So this is a very ancient tradition for us. So one hand on top of the other, not side by side, not with your fingers open, and then with your bottom hand, take the host and place it in your mouth. Pretty easy. To receive on the tongue, keep your hands folded, your mouth open, and extend your tongue. That may seem obvious, but you would not believe the number of people that do not actually open their mouths or extend their tongues. Very often, people don't make clear what their wishes are. They don't give us a clear signal, so we get kind of half hands and half mouth, and then we have to guess. This is awkward. Please give your communion ministers a really clear signal. If the priest or communion minister has to reach into your mouth to give you communion, thumbs and lips are going to make contact over and over with lots of people. It's unsanitary. You help us all out by opening your mouth and extending your tongue. It's not like putting a quarter in a vending machine. Also, please don't bite or grab the host with your teeth or lips. Receiving from the communion cup is always optional, but we encourage you to do so. When the minister says the blood of Christ, take the communion cup with both hands and take a small sip. In order to minimize the possibility of spilling the precious blood, we do not ever receive from the chalice while kneeling. That is a formula for spills. Much of what we do around communion is to be careful and to be reverent and to avoid any mishaps. But we are all human, and occasionally something may go wrong. So if a host is dropped or if the precious blood is spilled, do not panic. Our priests and our communion ministers are trained to handle accidents appropriately. So simply leave it to them to take care of any problems. Now, if you are somebody who lives with celiac sprue disease or gluten intolerance, we have low-gluten hosts available. And if you need a low-gluten host, please see the mass coordinator or the priest right before mass, and we'll keep it separate from the other host to avoid cross-contamination. Make sure that you are in the priest line for communion and remind him when you get to the front that yours is the gluten-free host. If, on the advice of your doctor, you have to avoid all traces of gluten, you have the option of receiving only from the communion cup. We believe that Christ is fully present, body and blood, in both the consecrated bread and the consecrated wine. Now, as I said at the beginning, we are gathered from many different places and with different traditions and practices. And the deepest expression of our unity of, as the body of Christ is in our reception of Christ's body and blood in the Eucharist. And our hope is that the way that we celebrate this sacrament together will deepen our discipleship, strengthen the bonds of love and charity between us, and draw us deeper into the love and the mercy of Jesus. 
What I've presented to you today are the guidelines. I will also tell you that Father Jimmy and I are not police, we're pastors, and our job is to lead and guide. We're not going to shame or yell at somebody who's doing something different from the guidelines, but we felt it was important to help people understand what those guidelines and procedures are, and then to ask everyone to approach the Eucharist with a bit more care, a bit more reverence, and attention to this most sacred sacramental action. Pope Francis said in 2016, we must always bear in mind that the Eucharist is not something we make. It is not our own commemoration of what Jesus said and did. No, it is precisely an act of Christ. It is Christ who acts there, who is on the altar. It is a gift of Christ who makes himself present and gathers us around him to nourish us with his word and with his life. This means that the mission and the very identity of the church flows from there, from the Eucharist, and from there always takes its shape. A celebration may be flawless on the exterior and very beautiful, but if it does not lead to an encounter with Jesus Christ, it is unlikely to bear any kind of nourishment to our heart and our life. Through the Eucharist, however, Christ wishes to enter into our life and to permeate it with his grace so that every Christian community may find a coherence between liturgy and life.